Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to another Invested Investor podcast. I'm here with Bridget Cannell. I won't take the accolade away, so I'll just go straight into it. Bridget, do you want to tell us your background and how you got into angel investing? Hello, Alan. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you on Invested Investor. My background is I have a degree in history and almost three decades commercial experience working in tech roles. The last 15 years of my career, I spent working in mobile phones. And prior to that, I spent 10 years working in the international logistics sector. So tell me more about the last 15 years in mobile phones. And you must have seen a huge transformation in the industry. It was a really exciting time to work in the sector. And when I first started working in the mobile phone sector, one of the first projects I worked on was the launch of the first BlackBerry in the UK. And as a programme director managing a project like that, one of the things that I really noticed at the time was it was very difficult to appreciate the impact that having a BlackBerry would have on everything that we do and the whole sector when you just receive a large requirements document that describes how it might function. And for years after we launched the BlackBerry, I had one of the first trial BlackBerry devices in my handbag. And every time I took it out, I thought, we did that. We did that. So you obviously had this background in um, we had DHL and then you went to O2 Telefonica. Mm-hmm. And how many years ago and the reasons for the transition to investing and being an angel? I got into angel investing about four years ago. I hadn't planned to do it. I took up an opportunity to go to a networking event one evening. And at that networking event, there was a woman presenting and she talked about her experience of getting into angel investing. And she gave a really simple example of how she did it and what angel investing is. And her example was that she had invested £10,000 in a startup business, which was a sporting app. She liked the business, she liked the founder, and she had a marketing background and she worked with the founder with her marketing experience to help scale the initial phases of that project. And with that really clear example of what angel investing could be and how she could use her experience, I thought, I think I can do that. And I had spent all of my life working in tech and have been extremely excited about what tech can do. And I wanted to stay really connected to tech, even though I wasn't working full time anymore. And that was the first introduction. 
So you've had the introduction to angel investing. How mm -hmm. did you then approach your first investment? And that must have been not daunting, but it was completely new for you. I went along and joined a syndicate. And that is the big recommendation I would give to anyone thinking about angel investing. I went along to join the syndicate and the syndicate I chose encourages more women to be angel investors and it invests in female founded tech businesses. And all of that resonated really strongly with me. And what I noticed with the syndicate was that they had a very credible deal flow. So the quality of the businesses that they get to come and pitch is very good. I now know that, but at the time it looked good. I hadn't got a lot of experience. And I went along to a pitch evening, a couple of pitch evenings. I noticed a business that I thought was quite interesting. And not only was it my first opportunity to invest, but I then volunteered to coordinate the round, the deal, which meant I rolled my sleeves up and got completely involved and watched what everyone was doing and corralled and coordinated things, got very close to the founders and then made my first deal. And actually making my first deal was a bit daunting, actually, when you think, actually, this is the amount I'm going to invest in. But you have to make that first investment. You have to go ahead with it. And once you get over that first hurdle, then I think you're away. It's great. Would you have any other tips for potential investors? The very first thing is to join a syndicate. If you're not experienced, as I wasn't, and if you're not from a finance background, as I am not, then join a syndicate because the benefit of doing that is that you invest in a group and you share your expertise and your experiences. And the benefit of joining a syndicate also is that there is a curated deal flow. So you have some confidence in the quality of the propositions and the entrepreneurs that you are getting access to. So how many deals have you done over the last four years then? I've done five deals over the last four years. What I would say about getting involved in deals is number one, it is time consuming. I find it time consuming. It's time consuming to go to the pitches and see the entrepreneurs pitch. It's time consuming when you identify a business that you are interested in and then you want to do some due diligence. And I find that it is time consuming doing due diligence. What I have also learned is that in my style of investing, I like to do due diligence. Some angels I invest with are quite intuitive and don't spend a lot of time. They like the founder. They rely on the syndicate to do a lot of the work, look at the results and then just choose to invest. Part of the journey for me is about getting quite close to the entrepreneurs and seeing if I like them, see if I think I can work with them, see if I can spend several years with them and continue to follow on with them. So I like to put the time in to do the due diligence and that can take quite a lot of time. I also travel quite a lot and so you have to be in the UK quite a bit to be able to do some of these deals. Do you keep the deals just to London or...? So they're all UK based. They're in London because that's where I've chosen to find my deals through the syndicate. Will you keep that going if you invest in more companies or are you open to kind of further afield? I definitely consider further afield. I think there's a lot happening in the north of the UK, but not non-UK businesses. Yeah. They have to be UK registered for lots of reasons. Okay, so you talked about getting close to your entrepreneurs and that's something that we try and push to investors and entrepreneurs is create this open, honest relationship there because hopefully that will create more successful businesses, mm -hmm. startups. Getting close to the entrepreneurs, do you do a lot of mentoring and advising to these entrepreneurs as well once you're invested and on the board? 
I do it in two ways. I do do a lot of mentoring of entrepreneurs, but that tends to be actually more in accelerators. And I'll, I'll come back to that more early stage. The businesses that I invest in, I stay close to them and add value in two main ways, aside from the cash. So the first way in which I stay close to them and add value is I like to think of it as advocacy. So the first thing I try to do when I've invested in the business is look at how they're doing and amplify any key messages, any great news, any profiling I can do of what they're doing. Encourage other people to try their products and to be aware of what they do. So a big thing about advocacy and amplifying good news on their behalf. I also, when I'm invested in a business, I then like to stay very invested and amplify success stories and momentum with other investors. So I like to make sure that when I've invested in the syndicate, I keep close to the business and the other investors keep close to the business so that when the business comes around again and asks for more investment, we already know how they're doing and we already have a view of whether or not it's the right time to ask for investment and we mentally have pretty much decided if we're going to follow on or not. And you can't do that if you don't stay close to them. And the advocacy around with other investors is keeping the existing pool of investors engaged and encouraging other investors to think about the next round, introducing new investors. So I like to support them in terms of advocacy. And the second main area, I like to support them in terms of sharing my network of contacts. So access to other corporates, access to other clients, access to people who've trodden the same journey, access to people who may be able to help them open doors somewhere else. So it's the advocacy and the networking side is where I like to stay really invested. In terms of mentoring and coaching, because I run my own coaching business, I do spend quite a lot of time in accelerators or at business schools, mentoring early stage entrepreneurs. And in emerging markets, I spend quite a lot of time mentoring female founders who are building businesses in emerging markets. So you just spoke quickly about your own coaching Mm -hmm. business. So can you elaborate a bit more on Thinking Partnerships? So Thinking Partnerships is a coaching consultancy that I founded. The main area that Thinking Partnerships looks at is we work with ambitious startups who want to scale rapidly and raise funding. And I work with senior leaders in large organisations who need to be more entrepreneurial and who are very aware that they are working in large tanker-type organisations that find it very difficult to turn and need to keep their eyes very much on how their sector may be disrupted and may need to work more closely with entrepreneurs to be able to do that. And in large organisations, the insight that actually different ways of working, taking more risks, doing things in a more agile way is definitely the way to go. Do you bring them together then? I do if I can. Brilliant. So with thinking partnerships, I think that the leadership qualities and the leadership styles required to work either in an early stage startup, a scale-up business or a large organisation, there are some very common themes I see. One of which is hiring, firing, delegating. So recruiting the right people, recruiting people who aren't in your image, recruiting diverse teams, bringing them on board. And if they're not working out, making decisions quite quickly to do something about that. And it doesn't matter at what level of the organisation, whether they're startup or a senior exec, people often struggle to delegate. People often struggle with influencing styles and influencing techniques. 
So early stage entrepreneurs, when they're trying to influence key stakeholders, when they try to influence in larger organisations, when they try to influence their investors, they need to develop a range of styles to do so. Similar things when they're working with large organisations, influencing styles. And a third theme is around resilience and energy levels and stress and how people deal with those, how they make sure they don't get burnt out, how they manage their energy levels to keep going at the pace and momentum that they need to do. So what do you find when you bring together the leaders from startups and large businesses? There needs to be some common understanding of language and how to work really closely together. Startups I work with are often trying to get into a large organisation to partner with them or to get them as a customer. When I work with startups, what I notice they struggle with is how to navigate their way around a large organisation, how to communicate effectively and to understand what large organisations are looking for from them in terms of what success criteria might look like and what measures they might use. When I work with leaders in large organisations and they're working with entrepreneurs, one of the things I notice is that to be successful when large organisations want to work with entrepreneurs, they often have to ring fence a team or a way of working that's flexible enough that allows entrepreneurs to come and work alongside them and key members of the team in the larger organisations give them the time to be able to work with the entrepreneurs. So, for example, sometimes a pilot or a trial with a startup working alongside a large organisation, it can fail or stall because full-time employees in a large organisation have not got the right project code or the right billable hours to allow them to work with the entrepreneurs. And actually, there needs to be slightly more relaxed ways of working to allow those two things to work more effectively. So what commonalities do you find between the leaders of startups and the leaders of large organisations? Vision, massive, massive vision, ambition, unbelievable ambition, a real passion for what they're trying to achieve, a real belief in what they are doing, an energy, incredible energy levels, And not so much a focus on how do you make money, that's absolutely key, but over and above that is what is it they're trying to do, what value will it add, why are they doing it, what's the market opportunity, what's the need, how are they going to disrupt. So you said also before that a startup is often either trying to have a larger organisation as a customer or possibly sell to them or partner with them. Mm. Do you think an entrepreneur or a founder that has a background in a large organisation that is beneficial to them? Or do you just think it's something that can be learned? I think it is beneficial if you've worked in a large organisation and you know how to navigate your way around and you know how to communicate your ask very clearly. That's very beneficial, but it absolutely can be learned. And I think that's a key role that a lot of investors and mentors can play in terms of just helping young entrepreneurs navigate their way around a large organisation. Sometimes I work with entrepreneurs who have been given the opportunity to work alongside a corporate for six or eight weeks. And at the end of it, they then need to present back to the corporate what it is that they're asking, what they want. And just helping people be very clear on what their ask is, is key. When they come to you or you're coaching them, what sort of tips do you have, not just to interact with corporations, but when they're going for funding or, you know, when they're interacting with angels like yourself? One, be very clear about the style and the type of information 
angels are looking for. So angels will see hundreds of deals over the months or the years or thousands like VCs will do. And there is a standard way of presenting information and it's what they expect to see. It's not difficult, it's just a process. And someone can help entrepreneurs just get the structure right so that when you are presenting at a pitch and you have got 10 minutes, in that 10 minutes, you get the key information across in a compelling way in the structure at which angels are expecting to hear it. That's the first thing. The second thing is about supporting entrepreneurs in deciding what's the right time to ask for investment. Are they investment ready? And key things around that are, can they demonstrate traction? Are they clear about what their proposition is? Are they clear about their target market? Are they clear about the problem they're trying to solve? Are they clear about the opportunity? Are they clear about the solution? Have they got facts that back up some of the things that they're saying here? So do you think going to an accelerator is one of the best ways to kind of get all this advice and these resources so they're ready? Or do you think there are resources out there that you said a lot about being ready and knowing that you're ready for funding? How would an entrepreneur know that? I think they would know that from working with some advisors, working with some mentors, and depending on how business savvy they are themselves and if they've raised before. Is an accelerator the best way to go? It depends. I think if you're very early stage and you have an idea that you need support developing and you want to leverage what an accelerator will give you. So an accelerator might give you access to their customer base or to their suppliers and or give you funding. And if that accelerator is in a sector that you're proposition is targeting that's great but you don't have to go that way no so flip it on the other side what tips or advice do you have for up-and-coming investors and those that want to become invested investors like yourself be clear about what interests you and then find a syndicate that provides that deal flow for you be clear about how you like to invest and the types of people you like to invest with and find a syndicate that's got that group of people and that style of investing that really works for you. And then I would say roll your sleeves up and get involved because that's how you will learn. So get involved by coordinating a deal if you can. And you can often coordinate a deal without having to invest in it at the end. Most syndicates are desperate for people to take on board coordinating a deal and that's a brilliant way to learn. I'd say tips for investors who are thinking about starting investing in startups and are not sure is to volunteer to do some mentoring. Because when you mentor a startup, particularly through an accelerator or through several accelerators, and you see them through the duration of the time they're there, you get some really interesting insights as to what goes on for them, lift the lid and see what's underneath. And there's lots of opportunities in accelerators to mentor. Yeah. Over the last few years, what have you noticed and what have you learned from investing? So what I've noticed is that when you first start, it can feel like being in a sweet shop because there are so many interesting ideas out there and so many interesting teams. But as an early investor, my experience is that you have to take it slowly and do the due diligence and watch, listen, and learn from other more experienced investors. And it's by going through that process, you then start to get better insights about actually how robust is this proposition? How early is it? How investable is it? 
So when you first start, it's like being in a sweet shop, but slow down. The other thing I've noticed is that other investors are very willing to give you their time and their experience, their benefit of the experience. And I've really appreciated that when I first started. So my approach to becoming more experienced as an angel investor is I have tried to surround myself with mentors who are experienced investors who will give me some mentoring support in exactly the same way when I look at entrepreneurs and startup businesses and their early stage and I look for signs of who have they got as advisors, who's supporting them, have they surrounded them with great people. I've tried to do something very similar with my own experience and education for being an angel investor. I've sought out people who I like the way they think, I like the way that they do their due diligence. I like the way they support their entrepreneurs. And I've asked them if they take time out and meet me for coffee, if they'll spend some time and look at a deal with me, if they'll just listen to me ranting on about what I've noticed. And people are incredibly generous with their time. So have you noticed anything or learned anything from your time working with entrepreneurs? So one of the things I've noticed, particularly in my mentoring work I do with entrepreneurs, is that it is often very, very, very difficult to decide that the business is not viable and you need to close it down. And when mentoring entrepreneurs, particularly very early stage entrepreneurs, what I notice is that people are so emotionally invested in their business and have committed so much personally and financially that they are hanging on to see if they can just get some traction. And they have a sense that if we just do this, something will happen. If we pivot something will happen. And they've invested so much, the decision to quit is extremely difficult. And that can be either that their proposition just isn't robust enough, there isn't the right need, there isn't really a problem. They think there's a problem, but there isn't really a market problem they're addressing. Or it could be that they are waiting for investment and something's happened with the investment and it's not come and they're hanging on. So I've noticed that. And I think that in the whole ecosystem of investors and mentors and advisors. I think the whole ecosystem has a role to play here to support entrepreneurs in making those very difficult decisions. It's almost like uh, giving people permission to stop, giving people permission to pause and rethink about what they're trying to do here. And if you are extremely driven and driving your own business, you won't give yourself that permission. You need someone else to say it's okay to take some time out Or based on my experience of having invested in X number of businesses, I don't think this is viable. This is my insight. It's not the same as telling them to do it, but sharing insight. I think there's a massive role that the wider ecosystem can do here to support entrepreneurs in this situation. How would you like to see the ecosystem in five to 10 years time? For investors, what I would like to see in the ecosystem is more insight and sharing of what happens post-investment. I think there's a lot of information available and a lot of conversation around how to get investing and where to look for deals. What's very difficult after investment is to get the wider insight and experience of what goes wrong in deals. And I understand why that is, because a lot of the things that happen in a deal, the information is only available to shareholders. But more lessons learned about what happens along the journey will help investors and will help entrepreneurs. Well, hopefully we're doing that as the investors. (laughs)
And I'm guessing also in the ecosystem, you'd like to see more support given to female entrepreneurs because you work quite closely on that. Don't yeah, you? I do. And actually, what I'd like to see in the ecosystem is I'd like to see more diversity in the types of people who are investing. And it's not just gender. You must have a more diverse group of people around a pitch event so that the propositions resonate with more people and who have got more experience that they can contribute to support the entrepreneurs and the business in its journey. So I would really like to see more diversity generally. I think that for women entrepreneurs, you may be aware of the stats already, but Harvard Business School and MIT did some research that showed that identical pitches presented by a male or a female entrepreneur, an identical pitch, if it was presented by a male entrepreneur, it was 70% more likely to get investment. And one of the reasons that is, is that the people who are listening to the pitches, people like to invest in people like them. So if the pitch evening in the studio is full of a type of investor with a type of background, they will invest in a type of business or a type of person that they are most comfortable with. So by having a more diverse group of investors, it gives the businesses and the entrepreneurs more opportunity to get more investment. I don't think that to be an angel investor, you have to have had a background in finance or to have had a successful exit as an entrepreneur. I'm neither of those. And yet I still have some capital that I've chosen that I would like to invest in startups. So I think by not having that experience, I bring a different insight. I bring different things I can contribute. So I think that's really important for potential investors to realise that you don't have to look like all of the other investors come with different skills, different interests, different insight, and you'll look at businesses through a different lens and contribute just as much in a slightly different way. Absolutely spot on. Well, Bridget, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on The Investor Investor. Thank Thank you you very much. And I know that our listeners are going to learn a huge amount from what you've said today. Thank you. I think for me, the reason I've agreed to do this is if I can encourage and inspire one other woman to be an angel investor, I think that's well worth having taken the time out to do the podcast with you. All right, fantastic. Thank you. Cheers, Bridget. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Investor Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investorinvestor.com, or via a number of online podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.